right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. F that. You don't got time to say. All right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. History has been made, Adam. KU football beat Texas again. They win in Austin. Where were you? For the first time. I was down in Oklahoma City. I was halfway there. I should have just continued on with Why the drive. Why were you in Oklahoma City? Uh, so I was down last Friday. I, I know you went to Wichita. Yeah. Or to Derby. To Derby. And then me and the wife just stayed the weekend down in Oklahoma City. Oh, I thought you stayed yeah. in, in Wichita. No, we just finished. I mean, it was another two hours. So we just, you know. Good for you. Stay down there. Did you win any money at the good casinos? Time. Uh, no, I didn't go to the casino. My wife did. Uh, and During the game? Yeah, I think she ended up about even. So all right, all that right. wasn't a big winner. But KU football certainly was. If you go to the casino and you're a winner, or I mean, and you finish even, that's a winner. That's true. Um, KU, though, ending their streak of not in Austin. The streak of Big 12 games lost is over. Now Vanderbilt has the longest streak of most straight conference losses. Streak of conference losses on the road is over. Yes, 2008 was the last time that KU won a Big 12 road game. That's donezo. And you did it all on Saturday. And, and you know what? You did it. You did it like this. Motion Casey over. Daniels in the gun. He looks right. He's flushed out of the pocket to the right. Throwing on the run. It's caught. It's caught. Casey. And Kansas will win. Holy cow. Garrett Casey with the play of his life. And the Jayhawks take down Texas. Motion. Get and ready to hear that a lot today, folks. Such a fun call. And I don't know if, if everybody saw there was a video that KU Athletics did out of from the broadcast booth with Brian and David on the call um we're gonna actually have david lawrence on with us in about the, 30 minutes the shot so. of haney with his arm around lawrence was awesome yeah it really was and it showed the the emotion and everything i i i was so overwhelmed with joy seeing that just seeing guys who have had to you know they've given such a positive spin over everything that's happened over the past whatever handful of years however long brian's been been in the job and you know they have and, and i'm not gonna even con you consider what they might be but you know there when the when the less miles stuff was going on like there are things that they think that they can't say because they work for ku and that's fine and we get it but you know when when part of your job is is having to step away from you know and not being able to comment on some of the negative things to really be able to to be rewarded for you know, everything. I don't know. That was really, I love seeing that. So really happy for them. I was obviously happy for the fan base, happy for the team. Uh, a lot of guys who had to experience it. I mean, just the, the pure fact that you had a, a fullback who was playing in one, a football a couple years ago in Plainville, Kansas up to two a now. Oh, really? Must've been a population boom <laughs> after he went to yeah, KU. I guess so. That was the big game changer. And uh, the videos from his parents in the stands that was were so awesome. cool. Um, Jalen Daniels, just that whole story, absolutely incredible. And we'll get more into that um, specifically here in a minute. Um, 
the defense continued to, you know, I think overall kind of struggle, but they at least came up with opportunistic plays. You forced turnovers, and I think that was maybe the biggest win in my eyes, the fact that, because you've always talked about this, and, and we had a conversation about this a few weeks ago. Like, every Big 12 win that KU has had dating back till I think, 2014, it was some level of flukiness. And, and maybe this one is, is still there because you were still plus four in turnovers. But none of those turnovers felt like, oh, here's a butt fumble or here is a pass that just got deflected off the receiver's hands up into the air and you got a fortunate interception or something weird happening. Like you earned your way to a lot of those turnovers. The strip sacks, that's fully you earning that turnover. I would say that. And then um, the who, I can't believe I, I can't remember his name. The the, the pick six. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, anyway, he, ju- he jumped throughout. He read yeah. that perfectly and he jumped throughout. The only one I would say was at least some on the offense was um, uh, the Texas quarterback. That was late. The one that um, even then it was like, actually, it was it was a good play. Yeah, you know, exactly. It was good coverage. By OJ it was probably yeah. a pass that that shouldn't have been made, mm-hmm. but it was still good coverage. It wasn't like yeah, it wasn't like it bounced off a dude's helmet and just landed in your arms. I mean, it took you had to be there. Like it probably was a questionable pass. But him being near it is what made it a questionable yep. pass. Him him being there in coverage, so yeah, they they and they we talked about this Friday night. They earned not only did they earn a lot of those turnovers. The last time they beat Texas, they got a heap of turnovers and they still only scored twenty four points, and that went to overtime too. This one you put up forty nine in regulation, fifty seven overall. So you you know a game in which you receive the you know four turnovers. You should be putting up a heap of points, and that's exactly what KU did. And it wasn't like the Rutgers game a few years ago when they scored 55, but a, there was like three or four pick sixes, I think, in that game. There was one pick six on this, but, man, the offense, again, helped along by the turnovers, but even if you take away the pick six, the offense still put up seven touchdowns. Incredible performance by Devin Neal. The offensive line played well, and, yeah, Jalen Daniels was fantastic. And also, I think something else that that bears pointing out, um, the end of that game was almost disastrous for KU, and I think a lot of it would have gone back on Lance Leipold, but I don't think it should have. I was so ready to come in. I'm actually glad you heard that because I was was sitting there. um, we we, We just talked, Derek and I, where we were. Uh, I was at my, it was my sister, uh, by the way, happy birthday, Laura, my older sister. It's her birthday today. Saturday night, we went out, and we went to one of those uh, axe chucking places mm-hmm. there in Kansas City. And uh, I, you know, my Please family. Please tell me you didn't throw an axe at somebody when KU fell behind in overtime. I, do you want me to tell the truth, or do you want me to tell you I didn't do that? <laughs> okay. Um, I can't comment on an ongoing investigation, yeah. Derek. <laughs> anyway, um. Now, my my family, God bless them, because they know how nuts I am about sports and about KU in particular. None of my sisters went to KU. They went to Baker. One of them went to K-State. Actually, two of them went to K-State, and one transferred to Baker. But anyway, uh, but they stuck around after after our axe-throwing session was done to drink a couple more beers and watch that game with me. And I I was sitting there going, I'm going to have to come into freaking work on Monday, and I'm going to have to talk with Derek about were those god-awful – were those bad play? Was that bad play calling after the interception, or was it just conservative because there's a minute left and you don't want to throw a pick? Anyway, we don't have to like right. we don't have to have that conversation now. It's awesome, right? 
Well, and I think, too, like you think about the fourth down, which that one ended up not mattering, even though they didn't get it because they had the interception. Um, yeah. But, like, I, I just, no, I, I loved the idea to go for that fourth down, right? Go for the win. And I think that's the thing with fourth downs. I think sometimes we get caught up too much in the idea, and, and this is just aggressive play in general. When, when something goes bad with an aggressive play, you're going for a fourth down, not getting it. It's like, are you serious? See, you shouldn't have gone for it. Yeah. When in reality, nobody is saying the reason you should go for these fourth downs is because you're going to get it every time. I'll say this. Um, I, I I think going, you know, going for it there and, and a, you know, I think being up seven in that situation made it a good decision. I think if it yeah. was tied, because well, they they could have scored and you would have had two minutes and a bunch exactly. of time. Exactly. If, if they right. if they were if it was tied, I probably think punt it. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe I guess the reason I say that is because if you don't get it, they're already in field goal range. But it's it's like okay, this this ends the game. It's not like you know, it's not like well, we punted, it's tied. I, I don't know that that would that sealed it, um, and they didn't get it, but. You also know your defense is, you know, I'm sure they kept in mind, hey, you know, Texas has been driving the ball on us recently, but we've also gotten four turnovers tonight, or mm-hmm. three turnovers at that point, and there's there's reason to think we could stop them again. So it's, I'm sure that was on their mind too. Yeah, so uh, the aggressiveness, it's, it's just a process thing. Like you have to be able to feel it out, and they showed that graphic before KU went for that fourth down and, and were stopped that – they led the Big 12 in fourth down attempts, but they were last in the Big 12 in fourth down percentage. And I think this does kind of come back to a, a logical question just about, you know, when we talk about analytics and we talk about the book and we talk about, you know, on this percentage of times, team gained fourth down, so you need to do this. Maybe that should be adjusted because Kansas going forward on fourth down is obviously different than Alabama going forward on fourth down, and and there's different data there. But with how aggressive KU has been on fourth down, I've, I've gotten on KU's case over the past couple of weeks, the fact that they haven't been aggressive enough in certain situations, meaning in how I'm talking about it is running on second and 10, throwing a uh, basically route to the flats or running the ball on third down and eight. That's what I mean. But they have never left any question that they'll be aggressive on those fourth down situations. And I think there was maybe some happiness for me in the fact of how that game ended because I know the two-point conversion doesn't go down as a fourth-down try, and it's not a fourth-down try. But, but it was if, still aggression. Exactly. And if you think about it, that two-point try basically is a fourth down. If you don't get it, you lose the game. You lose the game. It's like going for it on fourth down. You don't get it, you give up the ball. If you get it, you convert, and in that case, you win the game. And just kind of have the same way that you're going to miss fourth downs if you go for a lot of them, it is a, all a gigantic process and I think you finally saw that process pay off on that two point conversion. I and I love, um, I love that they passed there mm-hmm. too. I, I was, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I saw them rolling out, and I thought, because my my first thought was go for it. As soon as as soon as they got that, um, it wasn't the touchdown. It was the first down when Jalen Daniels scrambled for the first down at like the the two or whatever it was. I thought, all right, you know, I'm thinking in my mind, if we score here, do we go for it? And I, my my thought is immediately yes. When you're the and, and Lance Leipold even made a great point. He said in in two overtimes it's going to be a battle of two point conversions anyway, so may as well go for it now. Um, and then back to the back to the fourth down call. You know that yes, KU was last in in the Big Twelve in, in conversion rate on fourth down, but they were also thirty eight percent. Which tells me that if the worst in your conference is thirty-eight percent on fourth down conversion, that means everybody should be going it, going for it on fourth down a lot more. Secondly, it's higher than thirty-eight at that point because you're fourth and one. And then, but even let's just say it's thirty-eight percent. 
even though I would argue it's higher because it was fourth and one. If I told you, Derek, that it's 38% chance you get this, and if you hit on that 38% chance, you can kneel it out to win the game. And if you don't get it on that 38% chance, you're still up seven. Mm-hmm. You take that, right? Oh, 100%. So- and that, I mean, to me it was... That yes, you're absolutely right. It was a it was an example of how aggressive they've been all year when it comes to fourth down, um, but it was even to me even more obvious than that. Like it was a pretty obvious go for it, and I'm glad they did. Yeah, and I just wanted to point that out to the fact of you know if they would have lost that game, that would have been a big talking point. I don't think it should have been, but it didn't end up mattering. So now we get to the point about Jalen Daniels, as we mentioned, fantastic game from Jalen Daniels. I saw John Costco who used to do the pro football focus grades for KU. We used to have him on the show. Um, he he pointed out the fact that Jalen Daniels was the highest graded uh, KU quarterback. In PFF era, right? Yeah, in the PFF he era. He got a which, 94, didn't he? Um, Let me see if I can find the exact grade. He was a... Uh, it doesn't say. Um, but the PFF era, I believe... Goes to 2014 or 2015, so it's not like so they haven't had a heat. right. This Point being, go back it doesn't to go back to the racing right. era, but that's something, right? I mean, it's progress, right? You would r- rather have it what? than not, and you have had at least some and there good have been outbursts of indiv- quarterbacks. Exactly, right. there have it's been individual game. good games. Mm-hmm. So that was a pretty special game, and he was fantastic in that game overall, um, hitting big passes when you needed them most, uh, finding balls into tight windows. A good runner when he needed that to be. That pass it, that I it was it, it. I think it was the drive that made it forty-two twenty-one. Mm-hmm. It wasn't it a th- was it second or third down? That one down the sideline when Texas thought that the KU wide receiver oh, got out of Lassiter. bounds. Yeah, to Lassiter, that thing was beautiful. Yes, because it was damn near double coverage and he put it right yes. in there. It and was th- beautiful. The throw on the I think it was a third and long to Trevor Cardell over the middle of the field and, and Cardell had to take a shot. So that was a the wonderful where catch. he jumped. Yeah, and he yeah, gets hits from the about, leg. About the five it was yard a good line. Throw too. Yeah, yeah, it was a good throw, but it was yeah, to me that was mm-hmm. that was more. It was a good throw, but that catch was gutsy because to hang on to that ball, similar to Casey, he actually took a bigger hit than, hit than Casey did on the two point conversion. And so I I know it's a one game sample. And I know we've seen good highlight moments from Jason Bean. And, you know, maybe if if this was the type of performance from Jason Bean after Coastal Carolina, maybe we'd have having the same conversation. It is hard for me, after watching that performance, after watching that game, to not envision Jalen Daniels being the starting quarterback next season. I I would agree. I just there was it was something even in Jason Bean's better games, there were still moments where mm-hmm. you kind of went, dude. And look, Jalen Daniels might still have those moments. He's a kid. And, and you know, and even if he comes out and has one of those moments, let's say they, they take the red shirt off of him mm-hmm. and he plays against TCU. Even if he has a few of those moments where you go, dude, then, you know, okay, you, you deal with that. But there's just, I don't know, it, it's kind of unquantifiable. And so maybe a lot of people won't take this seriously because I can't quite, quantify, can't quite quantify it. But it just, there's something there that just, there's just a, a smoothness mm-hmm. there. There's a confidence there. And I'll say this. I don't think it hurts. And now I, there's the transfer portal. You never know what's going to go on there. But if those two quarterbacks are battling it out in spring, if you're a believer in the concept of iron sharpens iron, no matter who survives that spring contest of, the, of you know who turns out to be the starting quarterback, they will have been tested. When's the last time the KU football starting quarterback actually 
had to be tested for his job. Yeah. And Chasen pointed out, Scott Chasen pointed out on Twitter, and I don't recall this, but maybe you do. Was it true that Jalen Daniels was going to be the starter before an injury? Well, okay, so the way Scott put it, and and I know what he meant by this, um, it's not that he was going to be the starter. It wasn't like a sure thing or anything. It just, the indications were that Jalen Daniels was in the lead. So he was having a really good camp Correct. before starting, but also, okay, or before at, an injury? Yeah, but also at that point, we thought Jason Bean was the third string, and he ended up coming up late in the camp with positive play. So who knows if that would have been enough to usurp Miles Kendrick and Jalen Daniels or not. But that is interesting to point out as well because, you know, I, I know some people kind of prescribe to the notion and some coaches prescribe to this of you can't lose your starting job to injury, right? Um, and maybe that would be a reason that you go back to, to Jason Bean because you don't want him to lose his starting job because of injury. But if that's the case, then Jalen Daniels might have lost his job to injury at the beginning of the season to Jason Bean. And I, I feel like, again, I haven't had uh, much negative to say this year about Jason Bean because you've gotten more out of the quarterback position than you were expecting. And uh, there have been a lot of high moments. There have been some down moments. But I just feel like with Jason Bean, you've had so many opportunities that we've seen a lot of those moments. And fair or unfair with the injury, Jalen was given a chance to prove himself in that Texas game. Um, and I think all of that matters to me, I would view him as the starter going into next season. Again, it'll it'll come down to the camp, I'm sure. But it also comes down to these final two games. And this is where the most interesting part of this conversation delves off to. What do you do now about Jalen Daniels? Because he's played his four games. He cannot play another game if he still wants the redshirt this season. If he is going to play the next two games, it maybe gives him an opportunity to further his lead in the quarterback competition but then again maybe you go out with a bang here and just say this will be the last taste that everybody remembers me in a game I, I don't know what they possibly do we're going to take a break and talk about it on the other side this is rock chalk sports talk on fm 1017 and 1320 klwn depend on it would you like to get involved in sponsoring rock chalk sports talk or the best of rcst podcast how about getting involved in some ku action or local high school sports you can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. And we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Motion, Casey over. Daniels in the gun. He looks right. He's flushed out of the pocket to the right. Throwing on the run. It's caught. It's caught. Casey. And Kansas will win. Holy cow. Jared Casey with the play of his life. And the Jayhawks take down Texas. Motion, Casey over. Just doesn't get old, does it? Just play it on Loved loop. Loved it so much. I wanted to play it on loop, go. apparently. Uh, with Adam Dravetta, Derek Johnson, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We will have David Lawrence, who was on that call, join the show in about 10, 15 minutes from right now. We'll get to some KU basketball. There was so much that happened over the weekend. We'll get to KU basketball in the 5 o'clock hour. We'll talk more KU basketball or KU football we Think about well. this, man. We have a KU basketball player, which typically is our biggest subject, mm -hmm. and understandably so. A KU basketball player just won Big 12 Player of the Week, and it's not the biggest story of the show. Yeah, and, and I'm okay with that. I understand why. Like that's just think that's just put to put in context. That's how big of a weekend it was for KU football. Yeah, and by the way, Devin Neal won Big Twelve Player of the Week or Offensive Player of the Week. Ochai winning that award. This is actually the first time ever that it's happened where 
KU has won the Big 12 Offensive Player of the Week without it being a co-award and Big 12. Because it happened once. Perry Ellis, James Sims did it in 2013. They were both co-players of the week, um, but this time on their own. And it's the first time since 2018 that KU has won either Offense or Defensive Player of the Week. Um, and that was Joe Deneen with... Uh, I don't even remember who did it in basketball. Um, but anyway, uh, we'll talk Chiefs as well in the 4 o'clock hour, ever case in the Mondays and everything. As I was teasing at the end of last segment, Jalen Daniels, the red shirt conversation now becomes the front of every conversation for KU football. What are they going to do? Are they going to red shirt him if he plays even one more game? He can't red shirt. And at this point, you've waited this long. Do you try to, to keep the red shirt on him to get an extra year possibly of Jalen Daniels? Or do you just say, look what we just did against Texas. How can he not be our starter the rest of the way? So I, I, I'll, let me preface by saying uh, I'll say two things. One, I vote for letting him play, taking the red shirt and letting him play. Um, I'll And I'll, I'll explain why in a second. But in, at, I will also add I will not sit here and, and complain or think it's ridiculous if they choose to red shirt him. I won't that that won't be a ridiculous idea either but the 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 two reasons I'll give one I think if once that battle comes in the springtime between uh Jason Bean or or the battle we're assuming is going to come for the quarterback starting spot between Bean and Daniels this spring I think you've already got plenty of tape on Jason Bean so if you can have a spring session where you've got a lot of spring practices and about equal game tape on the two I think that just gives you more information. And then the other side of that is looking ahead. And I could be convinced otherwise, but looking ahead, I can't sit here and tell you what a fifth year, like what it, what a fifth year is going, what difference a fifth year would make um, that he won't be able to accomplish in his senior year. Like I, I, I could see a jump each year, but each year that jump is going to get less and less. Like I could see having a huge improvement freshman to sophomore, another decent improvement sophomore to junior, but then junior to senior and senior to fifth year, I don't see these, you know, any massive jump happening anyway. Well, it, for me, it's less about the jump, and it's like you could get an extra year of just a quality quarterback, hypothetically. That's, yeah, that's true. Which you don't always have, but I, I don't know if that's the answer. So on, on one hand, for me, if, you know, if you read Trent, I don't, I don't blame you at all because you do get the future outlook of things. And, and for a program like Kansas – Keeping an eye on the future, I mean, for every program, but specifically for Kansas, where the future is obviously what you're most aiming toward right now, like, why would you not build toward that, right? Like, why, like, it almost sounds silly, I'm sure, for somebody from the outside looking in, if you're like a fan of, of Tennessee or Florida State, you'd be like, you're 2-8, and eight. why would you not look to the future, right? Um, but there is another part of this. Uh, there's a locker room part of it, which... This is something Brandon McAnderson has toted several times over the past couple of weeks when he comes on with us on Fridays. KU football under Lance Leipold and this new staff have emphasized so much the idea of a winning game day culture. And in years past, sometimes there has been too much of a view on that future end of things to where you're not focusing as much on the winning culture. And the way BMAC put it was that the best way to learn a winning culture is to win games. It's not to build for 2024. Yeah, that's, yeah. And so from that standpoint, to stick with that, and from a standpoint of like, I don't know, I 
I feel like if I were a player in the KU locker room, I'm sure different players have different opinions maybe on this as well. I would almost be viewing this like, did you not see what Jalen just did? Like, I want to play with that guy, especially if you're a senior. So I guess let me ask you this. Let's say um, let's say it's it's not about which quarterback is better. Let's say it's about the the decision is this is I'm trying to think of a of a way to put this that isn't okay, this is the best way I can word this. Let let's say that the decision is not based on who's better, Jason Bean or Jalen mm-hmm. Daniels. Let's say the decision is decision A is best for what's right now, decision B is what's best for the future. Mm-hmm. Which do you which would you prefer they take? The decision that, that they feel is better for right now or the decision that they think is better for the future? I, I guess where I'm going with this is that they might be more tied up than we think. The idea yeah. of building a winning culture and getting some momentum at the end of the year and having a quarterback get game experience where you feel like you know he's the guy headed into next year. And, you know, because if, if you win another game, just think about the momentum headed into the offseason. Think about what that would do for recruiting, yeah. where you're going to help for the future. And think about what that does for Jalen Daniels. Like, what if that is enough to boost him headed into the offseason? Maybe this is enough on its own. I don't have a problem if they redshirt him. And honestly, the most likely answer here is is probably they just talk to Jalen, right? They talk to Jalen and say, this is up to you because we don't want to take away what could potentially be an extra year for you in college. So you make the decision, right? If you want to start these last two games, you'll be the starter. The one thing that cannot happen is them basically saying, we're going to go with Jason Bean to try to preserve the red shirt. Jason Bean goes out there, struggles in the first half, and they say, oh, well, we'll go with Jalen Daniels now. Yeah, That's once, the one thing once that you cannot decide, happen. If, once you yeah. decide, you've decided Stick it's the one done. Way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Miles Kendrick is the backup. Yes. I mean, if, if they go with Jason Bean, Miles Kendrick is the or backup. Or Miles Fallon if Kendrick is injured. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So, but point being, if they decide, yeah, you're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. They can't change their mind halfway through the West Virginia game or the, the uh, what's the other one, TCU game. Mm-hmm. Um, that's Yeah, that's a great point. I didn't even think about that. Uh, yeah, I just, I like, for all those same reasons, I just, I prefer just having Jalen Daniels play on top of the fact that you're just going to have more information about him to evaluate him in the offseason. Um, and I, I don't know. I think... Um, well, this isn't the NFL. You don't get a better draft pick for losing games. Yeah, exactly. And and actually, you, and you could make the argument that it's good for you to win more games. Exactly, because you get better recruits. Yeah, I mean, this this team's not going to a bowl game, but, man, if they finish, dare I say, 4-8... and eight, Could you imagine? Seriously. 4-8 and eight with a three-game winning yeah. streak to end the year. I mean, the buzz is going to be... Insane around the football program if that happens. I yeah, absolutely. And I, I don't know. If I you just, even win one of the next yeah, two. Yeah, and, and you finish you know? three and nine, winning two out of your last three. That would yeah, and it yeah, I just I think Daniels is better. I actually that's I think I agree with what you just said. Daniels is better for the present, and because of that, he's probably better for the future. And again, I just can't get my mind around. I just can't I also think regarding that fifth year, I like to think that they can find a quarterback. That by the time that if 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 things continue in the direction mm-hmm. I think it will under Lance Leipold, we won't be sitting there in year five of what would be Jalen Daniels' super senior year. Going, God, I wish we had him back. We we if if Lance Leipold and the staff are good enough at their jobs, we'll be sitting there going, Hey, this is great, but we've got this next kid coming up who looks good as well. Mm-hmm. That's that's a great point to bring up because I think that 
You have to trust yourself as a staff to do that. And again, it's not like this is the difference between Jalen Daniels playing two years at KU and five. You know, it's the difference between him playing five and six. Either way, you still get that extra year because of the COVID year last year. That's a good point. I Yeah, that's so he'll get that? Yeah, I mean, right now he's technically a second-year freshman. If he redshirted next year, he'd be a third-year freshman. Okay. Which, again, like if he wants a redshirt, I have nothing wrong with that, and that would be great for the future of KU. But just given everything that this staff has put into trying to win right now, even despite not necessarily having all the pieces or having all the scheme they want, that leads me to believe I don't think he is going to redshirt. But then again, it's all going to come down to him. Whatever he decides is going to be cool with everyone, and I'm just really looking forward to see who that starting quarterback is Saturday. We're going to hear from Lance Leipold tomorrow. We'll share that audio for you tomorrow on RCST. I'm sure that'll be the very first question that he's asked. Oh, he may even just say it in his opening statement yeah. because he knows it's coming. 100%. All right. With Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. Uh, David Lawrence, who was on the call of that game for KU beating Texas, joins us next. This is RCST on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back in. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. And what a fun time it must have been on Saturday for our next guest, David Lawrence joins the show. Uh, DL, we saw the video of yourself and, and Brian on that final call on the two-point conversion. Just the pure joy and excitement that was in the broadcast booth for you guys there. Uh, where would that kind of rank up for you guys in, in terms of special moments uh, in the broadcast booth for you? And, and how, how much fun was calling that game on Saturday? Well, it ranks really high. I mean, uh, the the Orange Bowl call and beating Missouri the following year in 08. And, you know, we had a special road win in Colorado um, about a decade before that. So this this is right up there with them. And, uh, you know, since Brian has joined, uh, we haven't been able to share this moment many times. Uh, the Texas game is certainly one of them of 2016. So, uh this is fun. And, you know, in that it happens in the Lance Leipold era when uh, I know deep down um, that this is going to turn into something. And, uh, I mean, you know, we can talk all day about what this does for his process, but it certainly speeds up, you know, what, what he wants to do as far as getting into the doors of recruits and getting people on campus. So, uh uh, that this one's pretty significant. Well, and how cool, too, was the fact that the guy who caught the two-point conversion is a guy from Plainsville, Kansas, who was playing in 1A football um, a couple seasons ago, that, that he made the final play. And, I mean, you also have a team that has a, a ton of kids from the state of Texas, so I'm sure it's really cool for them, uh, a ton of kids who play uh, who are from the state of Texas. Um, but specifically to have that and, and the mantra this year being, you know, we play for Kansas, I, I think the idea there, I, I know uh, my color guy in the high school games, Craig Hershiser, came in and told me the story about how uh, Nebraska in the 90s, they would – you know, tell players that they'd have a bunch of kids from the state of Nebraska because they wanted the program to feel like they weren't just playing at Nebraska. They were playing for Nebraska. And to have a moment like that, I think, just makes it a little extra special. There's no question about that. Uh, you know, I remember uh, Will Cook, who was doing our uh, spotting for us and does a great job traveling on the road to get there. And um, I 
asked him at a commercial break earlier in the game, and I said, would you go find out about number 47? Okay, because he's got a significant role in this game. And text it to me or write it down and, and, uh, and to have him step up. And he had a major block earlier uh, in the long Devin Neal run. So uh, it wasn't just that one catch, and it does speak volumes about where Lance Leipold wants to go. You know, uh, we talked about it last week playing Kansas State that he wants to have an equal number of Kansans and not have it be that K-State gets all the walk-ons and the Kansas recruits. He wants to do that in the future. So it kind of shows where he wants to go with the program. And, and but let's face it, Bill Snyder, he's got the blueprint for turning programs around in the late 80s, early 90s, and that's exactly what we want here at Kansas to transpire. And it's, it's going to be difficult. There's no question about that. But uh, I know we have the right guy to do so and moving forward. One thing that I, I found kind of interesting, the fact that, you know, it took, what, four Texas turnovers or something. And I think back to the 2016 game when I think Texas had six turnovers and ended up losing the game. But it's interesting because when I think about the game on Saturday versus that one in 2016, like the one in 2016 was kind of mucked up a little bit with all those turnovers. And and some of them were, you know, you just almost get a sense of uh, maybe a little bit of luck there. And yes, there there were four turnovers in this game that definitely impacted KU winning the game. But as I look at how they forced the turnovers, how they created the havoc in this game, that feels a lot more sustainable to me with, like, you think about getting strip sacks. Like, that is something you forced yourself. Or make having really good coverage that forces an interception, that feels a lot more of something that can be built on or, or that's less of a fluke than maybe the 2016 one. Would you agree with that? 100%. I, I couldn't have said it better. You chronicled exactly how I feel, and I'm not downplaying, you know, that was an awesome win in in 2016, but I think you were spot on in in how this happened. And the other thing is is this game just showed that, I mean, quite frankly, we, we were a better coach team. We were a team that made winning plays and did not make the losing plays. I mean, you have the turnovers, but then how about the two personal fouls? And in the second one, you know, the feel of the game, and, and let's face it, anytime you have a team that comes back and scores two touchdowns late, forces overtime, how many times do they win the game? I, it, it's got to be 70% or higher. That's my guess. And, you know, so, yeah, we feel, we're feeling that, okay? We're feeling, that's kind of the vibe that we get at Daryl K. Royal. But then they get the personal foul after scoring in overtime, and it, it changed for me. I, I, I just felt different about that momentum. I felt that turned the momentum completely. I mean, they just gave up half the distance to the goal for our overtime period. And, and it just, I, I don't know, I just sensed a different vibe after that. And that's just, I mean, that's the signs of a poorly coached team. Um, no offense meant to Sark, but, you know, that's, that's what losing teams do. They turn it over and they make stupid mistakes on personal fouls falling good plays. And so I, I and we didn't have that. We didn't have that. So I mean, that's what you can say about Leipold and his staff and what they were able to do. 
Yeah, and there's been times in the past where Kansas has been that team where it's been minus four in turnovers or makes a dumb penalty. So to have that the other way, like that is a huge win in itself. Now, obviously, Jalen Daniels was kind of the, I don't know, maybe player storyline of the game, um, just in terms of being the third-string quarterback, although I don't know, maybe he would have been the backup if they didn't have intent of redshirting him or not. And, you know, that played pretty well uh, considering uh, all the circumstances in the Kansas State game off the bench where you're not expecting to play and then you do and obviously was really good on Saturday night against Texas so uh, what kind of happens from here do you think the red shirt stays on do you continue to start him I mean uh, what do you think would be kind of the feeling in that locker room based on that decision you don't put it out on your text line. You know, let's see what fans have to say. I think it's going to be J.D.'s decision. Um, but I, I will say this about Jalen Daniels, who we call J.D. He was fantastic. I mean, he wasn't just good. I mean, he was great. Uh, the first pass that he threw sailed on him. And, you know, the first thought of everyone was probably, wow, that's the J.D. that we saw a year ago. The downside is he has that rocket arm. And that's what happens to people easily when you have that rocket arm. That was the last we saw of that, okay? Because after that, basically everything he did was very, very good. In fact, I thought about this this morning. Uh, I don't know if you ever played this whole game. Like if we put the top 25 players for Kansas out there in a pool and the top 25 for Texas out there in a pool, I mean, the, the, um, you know, the average person outside of either program, just looking at the measurables, is going to pick Texas players, right, uh, across, you know, for much of the first whatever. And I'm not going to get into that, you know, who it was. But I'll tell you who you would pick first, right? I mean, in that game, there's no question you picked the Kansas quarterback. He was the difference. The Texas quarterbacks, I mean, that they were – I mean, they were kind of similar guys. You know, they moved okay, but they were off target, consistently off target. I, I also, you know, got a kick out of them celebrating uh, a lot more than I, I think I would like my quarterback to celebrate when they were down two or three scores. Uh, but, but having the first pick in that draft means a lot. And when you've got the best quarterback, by far, right, by far, and, you, you know, just ask anyone that, that – isn't even connected to Kansas that saw that game. We had by far the best quarterback. That means a ton. And then you throw in the fact that we were certainly uh, were the better coach team and makes you uh, understand why Kansas was a winner. Yeah, I mean, how much of a difference was, I guess, just better blocking and, and offensive line play versus just the progression of Jalen Daniels from what you saw last year to what he was on Saturday? Well, we needed them all, right? I mean, to, to, to get a win because, I mean, we're, we're just in the infancy of what we're trying to accomplish here, but everyone's improving, every position group. And you look at the two that were probably uh, the areas of biggest concern, offensive line and linebackers, uh, they, they've taken huge steps up. I mean, our offensive line, I've, I've talked about that th- throughout the, the year. I mean, Nowitzki the, the and Ford, you know, getting kind of slow starts because they haven't played, um, you know, together. And, um, you know, now, you know, Bostic has just taken. And then Cable do uh, on 
Saturday took a major step up. Ford's been very, very good. Malik Clark, I'm so happy for him in his fifth year and having his best season. And then the linebackers, the same thing. I thought Gavin Potter in his third year played his best game. Rich Miller has really come on to be a good linebacker, a good conference linebacker. Uh, and then the young secondary. And I mentioned to BMAC before the game, you know, as far as what we're looking for and who's that player we're looking for. I didn't say Jacoby. I said it's going to be a freshman corner. It's going to be a freshman corner, and I didn't know if that was Dabney, Jacoby, or Dotson that's going to make the play to make the difference in this game, and it certainly was. He came within a whisker of not one but two pick sixes, and uh, he's just fearless, and he's got the skills so uh, just excited about all that. And let's not leave out our own Devin Neal that continues to, you know, move himself up. If you're looking at the top running backs in the conference, that's really um, running back rated high across the board. But, you know, the, he's starting to move up uh, into a pretty nice group in the Big 12 conference, just continues to get better. And then it was a game of the tight ends, right? I mean, all of them made significant catches, including the one that none of us really knew going in. I mean, Cardell, uh, what a monster, monster catch that was, knowing he was going to get undercut, and he pulls that thing in. And then Fairchild, I've you know, not heard the updates on his injury. I certainly hope that we've got that guy because he made a couple of nice grabs on a skinny post right up the middle. And Lassiter, uh, that, that we always feel that we have, and, and Lawrence Arnold, and you know, outside of Lasseter, they're all very young. So, uh, a long-worded question about you know people getting better, but the simple answer is I think all position groups have improved, and you throw in that tremendous play by JD, and that's how you end up getting upsets. All right, I got a, a little, uh, I guess, fun fact for you. Let's see if if you know it. Um, the best like point differential with KU and playing Oklahoma and Texas in the same season. So this was the second best season for KU all time. Um, when you add up the uh, point differentials of of the two games, it tied nineteen ninety seven. Do you know what the best season is that they played both in terms of point differential between the two matchups? Mm, I do not. It would be nineteen ninety six. Do you remember that year with KU taking down Oklahoma? Oh, yes. 1996. Yes, first year of the Big 12. Oh, yeah. Uh, I remember that game. Yes. That was, uh, it was, uh, Oklahoma was not as good, but uh, Texas, I didn't think we'd started playing them until 97 or 8. We played Texas that year. Yeah, 1996, played Texas. Um, lost to Texas 38 to 17. But okay. beat Oklahoma in 1996, 52 to 24. Wow, nice, nice fact, nice fact. And how much? Now, feel free to cut this off if this gets too wordy. But significant story for people that really follow Kansas football and what it means to beat Texas. Uh, Don Fambro, arguably, you know, uh, maybe the most influential person ever in Kansas football history because of. Uh, not only his playing days, but 20 years as an assistant, recruited more NFL players by far than anyone else. Well, anyway, the story goes that he was uh, uh, the Texas State High School Player of the Year, went to Texas, 
because that's what you do when you live in Texas. And uh, he went to the service and was basically recruited by our own Ray Evans to come back to Kansas following that. And I always thought it was funny how this guy, uh, who never left Texas and his wife is from there and everything, uprooted themselves to go to Kansas, where he eventually would spend almost the rest of his life. And I found out later in life and put this pieces together that Fanbro was the son of a foreman uh, on, on a ranch, didn't have any money, but one of his treats, and he loved football, was to listen to Texas football games uh, in the uh, ranch owner's house. So he would do that every day. Well, it comes to find out that when he was in high school, Texas lost to Kansas in Lawrence in one of the obviously few games that we had won. So I know that that played a big part because in the back of his mind, when Ray Evans tried to get him to come back to Kansas in World War II, he was thinking, wow, the Jayhawks beat Texas. They must be really special. And I think that that story is so important in thinking about what this victory is going to do for Lance Leipold moving forward, the Don Fambros that are out there that know about this event. And, of course, with social media, it spreads even more that we might get that person again. That's an awesome story. David, thank you so much for all the time and uh, looking forward to hearing you again on the call on Saturday against TCU. Appreciate it, Derek. Always a pleasure. All right, that's David Lawrence, color man for the KU football team. You can hear him on Saturday against TCU. I'm Derek Johnson with Adam Dravetta. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. One hour down, two to go. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. And we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Tough getting out of bed this morning after your weekend-long bender? Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. Instead of focusing on Monday, it's time to rehash the glory days of the weekend that was right now on Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson. When you come in on Monday and you're not feeling real well, does anyone ever say to you, sounds like someone has a case of the Mondays? No. No, man. So, I don't know if you consider Friday night part of your weekend. I certainly do. Um, High school football happened on Friday night. Just a quick recap of of all that. Lawrence High moving on to sub-state. So, they're a win away from playing in the state championship game. I believe I saw uh, this is the first time Lawrence High... Or if they do make it to the state championship game, it would be their first appearance in the state title game since uh, 1995. Certainly since the school split. I knew that. I couldn't remember the exact year. I think they won in the last year before the school split. Um, So, yeah, congrats to them. Uh, And I actually think they beat Derby in the state title Mm. that year, um, if I'm not mistaken. Irony. But uh, congrats to them. And, And even though they came up short, congrats to Free State, man. They... Uh, you had every reason to think that game was done, and they kept uh, they kept pushing and pushing and pushing. And I mean, they made Derby sweat. Yeah, so Lawrence advancing, and now they get Derby on the road, which is just where Free State was at. I, I honestly like there was a point in that game where I thought Free State was maybe going to get you know uh, a big loss at one point in the first half, but then they just hung around, 
And then that second half, they were the much better team, in my opinion, in the second half than Derby. Uh, they very easily could have won that game. Uh, not very easily. They could have won that game. Uh, they lost by six. They had a drive end at the five on fourth and goal. They had a drive end at the six on fourth and goal. You get a touchdown on one of those two. You get a touchdown on both of those. Uh, again, it changes the uh, the complexity of the game. Derby's approaching it differently at the end of the game. So it's not totally fair to, to necessarily do that. But certainly Free State like had everything that you needed in that game to beat Derby. And it didn't take like some flukiness for that to happen. So on one hand, like congrats to Free State. It, it was a heck of a season for them. They bounced back from the tough year last year. Great season this year. I think that also gives me hope that Lawrence High can beat Derby this week. And that would be great. And and uh, where is the state championship this year? And it's, it's either in, um, I think, it's either in Pittsburgh or Emporia. I know they go back and forth between who has 5A and who has 6A. We'll get that. Uh, in a second, uh, Derek is Googling that as we speak, but that, I don't know. Emporia it's just, State. Emporia State. It's just fun. I don't know. It, it's it's so fun. Even in a community like Lawrence that does have two separate high schools, it's still a very, Lawrence is a very community-based play. It, it feels so much different than like um, like the Shawnee Mission schools. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It just feels different here, so it would be a huge deal, uh, and uh, I don't know. It, it would be fantastic if they could get that win, and, and Derek uh, the big part of your Friday night, you it, the way you were talking on your broadcast, it sounded like that you that that area, the the suite where you broadcasted from, was nicer than some hotels you've been in. Oh my gosh, uh, that stadium is absolutely incredible. And, and Hank and, and Sam Speck will be on the call this week for that Lawrence High game on on KLWN, so they'll get to experience it. I'm sure. I mean, that stadium is nicer than some small college stadiums I've been to. Uh, without a doubt, the nicest high school football stadium I've been to outside of, like, seeing ones in Texas because that's just a whole yeah, other see, animal. Yeah, like, the, the Allen, Texas one comes right. it was, like, $40 million. Yeah, yeah, it's like, okay, this is a little too much. But there's, I mean, it when you walk into, it almost feels like a college stadium. You have, like, advertisements all over the place. Like, yeah. you, have, you know, your local... Uh, whatever insurance agent is on a big billboard. This scoreboard is brought to you by whatever insurance agency. And everywhere, they did a thing at halftime where, I don't even remember if I told you this or not, um, where they have a fan. I don't know who gets picked. Oh, yeah, we talked about yeah. this, but yeah. I don't, Comes, I, I don't think it went on the broadcast. It, they come on the field at halftime, and they attempt a 25-yard field goal. And if they make the 25-yard field goal, they get Chick-fil-A for a year. That's awesome. And they had a Chick-fil-A at the concession stand. Like, that doesn't happen at high school games. I mean, it was a suite with my own heater and everything. It was so nice. The field was brand new. Their Unbelievable. Fans, their fans show out. Man. Oh, they're yeah. Not, it was, Derby keeps it was winning. Full house. They're not sick of it yet, though. No. They, they keep winning, and but they're still not over it. They, no. Derby keeps winning. Their fans show, dude. And props to them, That's honestly. Awesome. You know, props to them for investing that. Like, it is a fantastic a place to go watch a football game, and the Lawrence High fans are going to venture down this week. Like you'll have a good time and fill it up. You yeah. know what? I mean, the 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 home side is is great. That's where the press box and all that is. That, but the away side is. I mean, fill that up, man. Absolutely. Uh, okay. Uh, you know who is having a case of the Mondays today? That would be one Lincoln Riley. Oklahoma losing for the first time this year. They lose twenty-seven to fourteen to Baylor. Um, but beyond the fact that they lost, a big reason why Lincoln Riley is upset or at least was after the game Saturday is how the game ended. So Baylor was up 24 to 14 with seconds to go. They're running out the clock. Oklahoma had just gone down, scored a, I guess, quote unquote, garbage time touchdown to make it 24, 14. And Baylor had the ball 
in field goal range, and they kneeled the ball down to get it to, I, I think it was fourth and goal at that point, and instead of letting the clock run all the way out, they took a timeout with three seconds. But mind you, well, in between... It, it was because, yes, yes. because fans charged the field. Yes. So fans stormed the field. Because they thought it had, it had ran. It went to second. And I don't know if the scoreboard at the stadium did go to zero or not. Yeah, yeah. So let me rewind here. So, again, so they called timeout with three seconds. But this is after the fans stormed the field. And they wanted the timeout. So now the fans are all on the field. They're storming the field. They're around all the players and everything. Lincoln Riley's trying to get his team back to the locker room. So there's not anything, you know, bad. We, we've seen cases, for instance, Kansas State where kid pushes, you know, Jamari Trailer or something like that. You don't want that stuff to happen. Um, so Dave Aranda wants the timeout because he wants to kick a field goal before the end of the game. The Big 12 tiebreaker, if there is a three-way tie, goes down to point differential between the teams if they all went one and one against each other. Baylor lost by 10 to Oklahoma State. They were trying to get in the positive. So, by kicking a field goal, you get a plus three. And at the end of the day, if Baylor, Oklahoma State, and Oklahoma all go, you know, one loss in conference play or whatever it would take to get their two losses in conference play to get the, the three-way tie, that would be the tiebreaker. So, they're trying to help themselves out, make the Big 12 title game, have a chance at making a New Year's Six Bowl, uh, have an outside shot at making the playoff, even though that wouldn't likely happen with two losses. But, obviously, there's a lot on the line with that. And so he calls the timeout, so now they have to usher all the students back to the... They can't get them back up in the stadium. They just have to push them back to the, the side walls. Think back to the Bluegrass Miracle. It, yeah, it, yeah, Except yeah. on this time, it, it worked out for the home fans. Correct, and you have Lincoln Riley. You have to get him and his players who are going to go on the field back out from going out of the locker room. And so, on one hand, Lincoln Riley's mad about it because a sportsmanship angle, he feels like they're running up the score. The other side of Lincoln Riley is also mad because he's afraid that it's a dangerous situation for his students having to come back out there with all the Baylor students out onto the field. And I guess where I'm at with this is I I disagree with the, the running up the score thing. Because, again, if, if this would have happened the last week of the season and you knew going into it, like, oh, Baylor has to win by 13 or more to play in the Big 12 title. If not, they don't. Nobody would have had an issue with it because yeah. it would have been like, and that might end up being the case for them. So I don't have a problem with them kicking the field goal to quote-unquote run up the score because, again, that could impact them directly of how good of a season they could have. Um, but as far as the student safety thing, I kind of understand that. And honestly, the biggest issue I had, shouldn't have that been a penalty? Yeah, they. Baylor, I was stunned when I said Now, I didn't watch the game. And that would have pushed them out of field goal exactly. range. Exactly. I, I didn't watch the game. I just saw uh, highlights. And when I saw after, after all the commotion of them rushing the field – I saw that, and I thought, why is Baylor kicking so close? That should have been a 15-yard penalty. Absolutely. Do you remember that BYU-Utah game a few years back? I, Not I, off the top of my head. I never remember who won the game. I just remember how crazy it was. It, obviously, it's a big rivalry game. Um, one of the teams like kicked a field goal or something. They missed it. The home team rushed the field too early. There was like a second left on the clock. So they got another shot at they the field They got another goal. shot. I don't, I don't remember exactly everything that happened, and then they made it. On the topic of running up the score, at that level of football, I don't believe you can run up the score. I think you can run up the score when you are a Power 5 team and you're playing one of those teams early on that you pay $500,000 mm -hmm. to come in and beat the hell out of. I think you can run up the score on them. I don't think two Big 12 teams can run up the score on one another. My only feelings on running up the score are issues I have with the teams I cheer for. And that is, I don't think you should keep the starters in because you're 
putting them at unnecessary risk. And two, I don't think you should be putting you shouldn't be putting any new plays on film for your opponent for future mm-hmm. opponents to see. Yeah, it's a competitive it, thing. Exactly. Honestly. If yeah. you're up forty-five to seven, and your backups are in, and you're still running a fullback dive that just happens to break free for sixty yards, all right, awesome, good for you, man. But if you're still, you know, if you have your starters in there and you're risking injury, I don't want that. And if you're running plays that that are new that might help you in the future. I don't want that either. Don't put unnecessary plays on film. That's my only feelings mm-hmm. on running up the score. Uh, but I get that. I get. I, I would be more if I if Lincoln. You know, I would be much more on Lincoln Riley's side here if his argument was they need to do a better job controlling their students. Right. Uh, before you know, it's keep, not just a, a physical safety issue in a world of COVID. Like you, you don't yeah, want exactly. all your players being around random students. Yeah, you don't. Yeah, exactly. And you don't know what's going on with that. Um, I don't know. Just so many things can happen. One of your players can, you know, get angry and, and do something stupid because he's angry and, and shove a student. Yeah. You know, I, I get. Look, schools are gonna, you know, students are gonna rush the field. That's fine. But I do understand the the argument of. Um, you know, control your your fans until the clock hits zero. I get that. Yeah, and so for that reason, but it should have been sport, moved back the 15 sportsmanship yards. angle. I right. can't say I agree. with No, that. I don't care. I, I don't care. Again, like literally, that could be the difference. And I don't know how much money, if you just want to think about it monetarily, it brings in for Baylor if they were to be in the Big 12 championship, if they were to be in a New Year's Six Bowl. It's on and on and on. You have to go for that, and your it, best chance of doing that is getting a tiebreak. Winning the cop, I, w- I wouldn't know this offhand, but I would guess what. What do you think getting the Baylor coach gets if they win the Big Twelve? Twenty five thousand bucks. I 50, bet you it's more than 50, that. Fifty thousand, maybe. Yeah, it might be six figures. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of money that goes into that. Uh, by the way, I don't know if you saw this. Another weird thing that ended a college football game. Did you see the end of the uh, Miami Florida State game? It was kind of a a game nobody was paying attention to because no. both teams aren't very good. Um, Miami's like five and five now. Florida State is, uh, I think, four and six. So Miami had the ball down 31 28. And I believe that was the right score. And the clock's running. Their quarterback goes up, snaps the ball. Uh, two seconds on the clock when he snaps it, spikes the ball with a second. Game ended. Why? Apparently, and this is news to me, apparently there is a rule in the college football playbook. Or that every col- play has to take two seconds? No. That apparently you cannot, if you spike, you cannot spike the ball with three seconds or less. Why? Otherwise, it's game over. It's the dumbest thing I've it ever heard. It is the dumbest thing ever. I've heard the rule. There is a rule that you can't, um, like, you, you can line up to make it look like you're going to spike it, like Dan Marino. But what you can't do, like, if you pump fake to the mm-hmm. ground. It's simulating the play. Well, no, yeah, if you pump fake to the ground, you can still throw it long on a fake, but you can't pump fake to the ground, because I've seen this. He pumped fake to the ground, then held it out like he was going to throw it, then actually spiked it. Yeah, and you can't do bubble. that. that's a You can't do that. Yeah. But no, they just they just Three said, seconds left? Yeah. Apparently, that is a rule. Apparently, that's in the rule book. What difference does it make? Well, and beyond that, like, this makes me rethink so many things, because I don't know. I, I feel like I have handfuls of times seen college football games where the team has gotten a spike off with a second or two seconds, right? And then they kick a field goal to win the game? I just assumed we would have seen it. I I don't know. Like, do, do you think it's just something that refs have ignored? Do you think it's something that... Because this is hap- has to have happened. 
before. I mean, the fact that so many people are just learning, including myself, are learning about this rule right now based off this one game. And that is the dumbest rule ever, by the way. I, yeah, I don't, I don't get the rule. I don't get why we've never seen it enforced before. Yeah, that's odd. Yeah, I, I, I would, you like I said, you could have told me that the rule was no, every play has to last a minimum of no. two seconds. No, but, but all right, now let's move on to what I think is going to be my favorite story of the day. Okay, uh, the Texas Tech meat judging team won its third th- straight national championship. Is this the, the correct? For the yes, for the record, KU, as, you know, as far as non-sports entities go. KU, a very good debate team. Yeah. Very good debate team. Scott Harris, shout out. Apparently, Texas Tech, quite the meat judgers. Yes. We're going to lower the, we're going to play some audio for you. Derek will throw to that, but uh, I'm going to have to lower the music so you can really hear this audio. This is a wonderful story. Yes, it is. Okay, so it's not just their third straight national title. The Texas Tech meat judging team. Not the meat cooking team. Correct. Their eighth national championship since 2010. I think they're 12th or 3rd. I don't know. They've won a a lot of national championships. Um, And we think of best coaches ever. You know, Bill Belichick, Nick Saban, Eight Bill out of Jackson, 10, man. Dr. Mark Miller put some respect on his name for Texas Tech. Uh, this is a video from Texas Tech Today, which it's a university-owned, I don't know, kind of reporting outlet for Texas Tech that just does informational videos on things around uh, the Lubbock campus, I guess. So, so like the PBS for Texas Yeah, Tech. basically. And this is from 2017. So we're going to go through this video. I'm going to stop at a different point, and we'll kind of discuss some of the things we hear. Uh, here is that video from Texas Tech Today in 2017, interviewing and learning more about the Texas Tech meat judging team. Well, do you like just eat steaks all the time? No, not really. There are many misconceptions. I have people ask us if we go butcher it ourselves, if we start using the knives and cutting it up. But there's much more to meat judging than you might think. It's almost like a sporting event. So what exactly does Texas Tech's meat judging team do? Lonnie Luchek is a graduate student and coach who used to compete. Students get together and we evaluate beef, pork and lamb carcasses as well as cuts for different traits such as quality and cutability. To assess quality, the judges look at marbling and the traits that impact taste. They kind of shade the ribeye to make sure that they're not getting too much reflection of the light. This one's got quite a bit of marbling. It's probably about an average choice. So then they would bubble in their Scantron average choice. During a contest, they'll also do what's called yield grading, among other things. And so they have to estimate the ribeye area in square inches of how big this ribeye is. They also have to estimate how thick this fat is. So if it's about three quarters of an inch, then that relates to what's called a preliminary yield grade. The team takes notes, writes essays, then must defend its decisions. All right, stop now this. We- you, have to, <laughs> you have to do all this. Look at that. Write an essay. And defend your decision. Yeah. Like, well, well, I'm probably mo- the, the thing that's probably the most bizarre to me is the contest is not cooking the meat no. or butchering the meat. It's how good of a judge you right. are. That's like having a, I don't know, like gymnastics. They have judges. Yeah. That's like having a, a college has a, a lot of colleges have a gymnastics mm-hmm. team. Okay. But it's like a college having a gymnastics judging team. Yes. Yeah. It's uh, So that means, and there's somebody judging the judges, right? To yeah. get their score. So they're, so somebody, imagine like you're at a party and you're, oh, what do you do for a living? And you're like, I judge the judges. I judge the meat judges. So you're God? Your meat god? <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, keep the video rolling. They only have about 10 minutes to do five heads, so you have to do it pretty quickly. They compete in contests all over the country. 
So of the 17 kids who judge, only four scores will actually count towards the team's score. But those four people don't know who they are. So they, we walk in all expecting to actually compete and our score to count, but only four will actually count. Ben Mills is a member. He's a junior majoring in animal science and says getting ready for contests requires quite the time commitment. On Fridays, we're practicing anywhere from seven to eight, nine hours, and then on Saturdays, about 12, typically. What? There 12 hours on a Saturday to learn how to judge meat. Oh, my. To practice how to judge Dude, meat. A mat you're spending your entire Saturday of your college life in a meat locker. Learning, learning how to just look at meat. Oh my gosh! I don't think I could do anything for twelve hours. I well, we we've sat and sat on our asses and watched basketball every uh, spring. Okay, yeah, but that's like, like actually training to but do think, something for twelve hours on about, a Saturday straight. How much is, could there possibly be about meat? Right. That is, I mean, look, I I understand. Like, I like wine, right? Uh -huh. But I don't claim to know as much as a sommelier. Uh -huh. And I'm sure that there are things that a sommelier could point out that I would go, wow, I never thought of that before. But 12 hours. Could you do 12 a, hours in a of, day? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. No, thank you. All right, keep it rolling. There's no team tryout and anyone from any major can join. In order to meet judge at Texas Tech, uh, you take a class and kind of learn everything you need to know about meat judging. And then from that class, you decide if you want to be on the meat judging team or not. The only real requirement is a willingness to work hard. But like Lonnie explains, it's a one and done deal. You have to work really hard that one year if you want to be a national champion because you only get one shot. With Coach right, Mark Miller right there, at the stop right there. Wait, they don't have, why not? The four, it's not a four-year yeah, deal? That doesn't really make sense to me, but... So apparently, it's one year of eligibility for meat judging. That makes it even more wild that their head coach would win this many national titles. He's constant. I mean, John Calipari thought he's he mastered yeah, the one and done. He's turning over right? a team every yeah. year. So, congrats to Mark Miller. Congrats to the Texas Tech meat judging team on winning your third straight national championship. That was case of the Monday with Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Coming up next, are the Chiefs, in fact, back? Motion, Casey over. Daniels in the gun. He looks right. He's flushed out of the pocket to the right. Throwing on the run. It's caught. It's caught. Casey. And Kansas will win. Holy cow. Garrett Casey with the play of his life. And the Jayhawks take down Texas. Ah, good old Jared Casey. The young fullback. Hey, we could be seeing plenty more of him, too. He's just a uh, redshirt freshman. This is Rock Chuck Sports Talk with Adam Dravetta, Derek Johnson. Half an hour through the 4 o'clock hour, half an hour to go. Uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, I didn't think it would take this long to get to them in the show. It's just there's so much that happened. Uh, are they back? Are they officially back? I don't even know. Like That's a very ambigu ambiguous way of saying things. Um, are they back to what, right? But are they back? I would say, I would say they're a legitimate AFC contender now, mm -hmm. but I also don't know if that has more to do with what I've seen <laughs> out of the— I mean, look, we were talking about this. Have the Chiefs really had a stinker this year? You could argue that getting blown out by Tennessee 27 to 3 in a game that was 27 to nothing at halftime was their stinker. Okay, but the Titans have lost to the Jets, the Ravens have lost to the Dolphins, and the Bills have lost to Jacksonville. Mm -hmm. Right? And so 
and and you know on the NFC side, the, the you know the the Cardinals who they lose to just got crushed by the Panthers. The Panthers, Packers got crushed by and Dallas. You know, Dallas got crushed by Denver. Broncos. Uh, Packers started the year getting smoked by New Orleans. So, like the the Chiefs arguably might have like they might have the like one thing they I guess the best way I can put this the one thing they don't have you can definitively say they do not have the worst loss of the year. Now they don't have the best win either. Um, last night was impressive, but I, I think when you look at what the rest of the AFC has done and, and it, all of them have had at least one rough game, but more than anything that the chiefs are four and one in their last five. And that to me means something. And, and you, you like, I, I don't think we can keep moving the goalposts. We kind of said, boy, wouldn't it be great to go two and one out of this uh, Packers, Raiders, Cowboys deal. Mm-hmm. And we said, yeah, we have to, you know, we all said, okay, it's panic time if they don't beat the Giants. They beat the Giants, and so we kicked the can down the road because it was a close game. Then we thought, all right, you go 2-1 and one from this stretch between the Packers, the Raiders, and the Cowboys. Okay, they've gone 2-0, and oh, but then we kicked the can down the road last week because the, the offense was terrible, and... Um, it was uh, the kid, uh, what's his name, the Utah State kid, playing backup quarterback for the Packers. Aaron Rodgers gets COVID. They win that, but we kicked the can down the road there because it's a backup quarterback. They just rolled Oakland and made mistakes along the way. I mean, Mahomes had a couple passes where I was like, ooh. Yeah. But I, you could argue that maybe the luck is going, like if every interceptable ball is 60% likely to go to be intercepted, he's – Far more than 60% of his interceptable balls have been grabbed this year. So you could argue that maybe it's just going the other way, that he's throwing a lot of interceptable balls, and these just the luck would just say he was it was going to average out and somebody's going to drop these. But with was that game, it, with the exception of when Anthony Hitchens got toasted by what's-his-name mm-hmm. on um, the, I know it wasn't right, Waller. Mm-hmm. When when Anthony Hitchens got toasted by Waller for a touchdown to start the second half, when the last few, when the last two drives go, missed extra field goal, or a missed field goal to win, uh, to in the half, and to go up six, and then Raiders come up and just punch you straight in the mouth uh, to start the half. Anthony Hitchens gets burned. And it's touchdown Raiders, and all of a sudden it's 17-14. Was the game, was was except for that moment, was the game ever in doubt? Not really. And even at that moment, it was weird because I don't remember, like, after they scored, sitting there thinking, oh, no, here we go. You, you knew know? how important it was for the Chiefs to score a touchdown their first drive of the second half. Yeah. But yeah. you weren't going, oh, God, here we go again. No, you kind of felt comfortable with how they were playing because that's the thing. You knew the defense was playing better in the first half. You knew the defense has played better the past couple weeks. The big question headed into this week was, weirdly enough, the offense. And based on what you saw in the first half, you were like, okay, the offense is figuring it out. And so you didn't really have much doubt even when it was 17-14. to Now, did you think they were going to score the next, what, 24 points of the game? No, not necessarily. But it certainly feels like they're back. Did they punt? Was there only fourth down? Uh, Was there only... Line, did they only line up to punt with the fake, or did they actually punt? I don't remember. Did they punt at the end of the game or something? Maybe. I don't know. But either way, 41-14, to 14, all of your points come on offense. It wasn't like you got a, you know a fumble return and a pick six. You score 41 points, all of it thanks to the offense. Um, and, and they, I don't know, I, I will say this. I, I think if there's one reason to say wait and see, 
it's because the Raiders, for whatever reason, and, and I talked about this with Cole on Saturday, are the Raiders going to be stubborn enough to play their their defense, their kind of man defense, and, and not put a two-man shell over the top? For whatever reason, they stuck with their defense. Um, I thought that was a bizarre decision. So I, I do think, okay, what are we going to see when, when teams get back to uh, get back to what most defenses have been doing against them. But I did see patience out of Patrick Mahomes, and I saw a willingness to take the check down right away. Not get, It seemed like, and I, I I could be wrong on this, but it seemed like there was a lot of, all right, I've gone through my progressions. Yes, my check down is open, but you know what? Let me just take one more chance. Oh, gosh, mm-hmm. now i got to roll out. Now i got to heave it. You didn't really see, he, he, I don't know. He just he looked more comfortable. Um I think Andy Reid has finally admitted, and I know I I get what the analytics say about passing versus rushing. I don't disagree with that. But I do also think when, you know, the whole reason passing is more efficient than rushing is because it gets you more yards per play. But when the defense is setting up in such a way and you've got an offensive line, when you're in a position to get seven yards of play by rushing, you do it. You do what's most efficient. Yeah, and they and rushing for a time was the most efficient play last night, and they did it. And that was the biggest thing for me. It was nice to see they actually not just one drive, not just for a quarter. They were committed to, you know, basically taking what the defense gives you for the sustained allotment of the game. They ran the ball at different points of time. They threw the short check down routes. They adjusted the offense. And it just it felt like so long for them to make those adjustments. They finally did. Now, the question for me moving forward is, again, the same question I had. Like, can you do that for a game? Because we had seen them do it for a drive here or there. But we hadn't seen them do it for a whole game. You did that against the Raiders. Can you be disciplined enough to do it again? And, and for two straight games, for three straight games, until teams finally fully adjust. And what are you going to do when, when you go two straight drives without that working? Right. Like, if the Chiefs go a sustained drive... Like last night, they were really good in the red zone. You know what if what if you play Dallas and okay, you're getting chunk yards on runs and you're taking short passes, you're going to the checkdowns, you're taking what the defense gives you, take what the defense gives you, take what the defense gives you. Then you get to the ten and all of a sudden you're stopped because that's the whole point of a bend don't break defense is using that back end the back of the the back sideline as a twelfth defender. And when when they start doing that and you and you go two straight, you know. Let's say you get fourth and one on the 11 and you don't convert. And then the next drive, you get down to the 10 and it's fourth down again and you got to kick a field goal. Then are you, are you still going to stay patient enough to stick with it? Mm-hmm. That, especially yeah. if especially if you're down 7 nothing. Yeah, and, and that's the key. And, I mean, there were still times last night. Like, I don't think it was completely perfect. Like you said, there were still times where there were some uh, – I don't know, borderline throws from Patrick Mahomes, the one literally right before Daryl Williams made the incredible catch in the end zone. That should have been, been intercepted. The third, the third um, was, yeah, or maybe second. Whatever it was, it should have mm-hmm. been picked. So you still have those. It's It still happens at certain points of time. It's not completely cured, but that was the closest thing we have seen. But That was the best all-around performance we've seen from the Chiefs between the offense, between the defense, and that still took into account that you still had a, a dumb turnover on, on a special teams plays that you still haven't, you know, besides the Packers game, really been clean so far this season, which gives you both hope and makes you feel like, oh, there's still a little bit of, of residue of what was happening before this. Uh, but I would definitely say that you feel like they're back after that. And when you combine it with everything you said about 
a bunch of the AFC teams performing poorly over the weekend or over the past couple of weeks, you feel like they are a true AFC contender once again. Two things I would have liked to have seen last night, and I think they can improve on. And I feel good about the fact they scored 41 points and there's still room to improve. Tyreek Hill got loose a couple of times and Mahomes missed him. That, you know, that's it. And, and it's okay that he's not perfect, but I, and I'm encouraged by the fact that there's room to to grow and they still scored a ton. Um, and I would like, and you 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 touched on this with the with this was special teams, but even on offense, I would like to be able to watch a game where my poor mother doesn't have to every time somebody breaks loose, whether it be yards after a catch or on a run, where my poor mother doesn't have to go, don't fumble the ball, don't fumble the ball. <laughs> And there's another F word in there besides fumble that she says too, um, and I would like that. To, I would like them to be able to help her relax a little bit because you are, like the Chiefs have been as good as that play was uh, when it was at Fenton that punched the ball loose out of Deshaun Jackson's yeah. hand. As good as that was uh, of a play that was from Fenton, the Chiefs have been especially vulnerable to dudes popping the ball out this year. Counterpoint, though, that felt like a play that would have happened to the Chiefs, and it happened oh, the yeah, other way. Happened, which, yeah, absolutely. That reverse of the pendulum is great news on its own. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Let's overreact to the NFL. It's a Monday. By the way, choose your spirit animal. Um, would you be the fork or the the guy picking up the fork on the football? I assumed it was a fork for the Raiders, or would uh, you be uh, scissors? It was scissors. It was athletic athletic trainer scissors. Oh, I thought it was a used, fork. They used to cut the tape. All right, would you be uh, that moment or Creed Humphrey, like basically taking a charge? <laughs> well, taking a flop. Yeah, uh, yeah. it was Marcus <laughs> Smart taking a charge. Yeah, yeah, correct. Um, I don't know. I would probably. I I like to feel like because my mind kind of wanders places, which really infuriated my coaches when I was a kid. Because I'll be sitting there. I like I, I I was a center seventh grade. I was a center for a lot of my football career, and in the seventh grade we had our cadence was just down set hut hut, mm-hmm. and sometimes to throw them off, like if we tried to draw them off sides, we'd go on three, or we'd go it on on one to try to catch them off guard. And there was one time where we were going off guard, and I had my my hand down on the ball, and you know those false starts on everybody but the center. Yeah. I was the center. It was it was supposed to be on one instead of two, and I immediately sit there and I'm thinking about some funny thing I saw on TV the day before, and I all of a sudden next thing I know everybody around me is blowing forward and I'm still holding the ball, so I feel like I would easily have been distracted by I would have gone what is. But that my I told my parents this story last night. That immediately reminded me of this terrifying moment in the eighth grade, where I'm down. I must have been on defense because I was in in middle school on defense. We we had four point stance instead of a three point stance, mm-hmm. which I, I think a lot of people know what that is. But for those who don't, a three point stance is when you have both feet on the ground and one hand on the ground. A four point stance is the same thing except you put your other hand down on the ground. So I have my legs and, and my feet and my arms down on the ground, and there was this massive freaking spider just crawling, past, and it was crawling right toward my leg, and I'm just like, snap the ball, snap the ball, snap the ball, snap the ball. And in hindsight, I feel worse for the spider because he was just crawling around like, wow, these people are tall. <laughs> and then they snapped the ball, and it was just chaos for mm-hmm. the poor guy. <laughs> but um, that was my immediate thought. I could 100%, more so than, than what Creed Humphrey did, 
I could 100% seeing myself going, hey, that looks dangerous. Wait a second. So, yeah, much more him. Okay. I like that. Uh, anyway, KU basketball also happened. It happened last Friday night. They took down Tarleton State, defeated the Purple Poo. Down they go. Which, for the record, they're called the Texans. Yeah, but by the because way. Because we spent so much time last week talking about If you didn't hear that, check it out on the podcast. We discussed a secret society at Tarleton State that calls themselves. We didn't, we're not, we didn't make this up. We're not making, well, we are making fun, but we didn't come up with it. They call themselves the secret society of, of people with big time Tarleton State school spirit, call themselves the Purple Poo. Mm-hmm. And honestly, that's not fair that they get to be the Texans. They're, like, why does Tarleton State get to be the representative for the state of Texas? And also, to me, it's just boring. Well, yeah, it's it's also boring, and also it's it's silly to me because you're going to be recruiting players who are not from Texas. Like, I don't want to be a Texan, but I guess that goes back in line with the Houston Texans. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, continuing off our conversation we had Friday before the game, we talked about how, you know, we weren't overly concerned with, with the first game being maybe a, a lower-tier offensive game for Dave against Michigan State. But one thing that we really liked that we saw was the big block he had, and, and is this maybe turning the corner this season for him becoming a really good rim protector? Well, sure enough, he goes out there, and he has five blocks against Tarleton State, and yes, Tarleton State is a smaller-sized team. Christian Brown had five blocks for KU, but I think that makes you feel even better about any of the proclamations we made on Friday that he might be making that next step. Yeah, and the biggest the biggest thing for me... The, in development with a big man on defense is the, is not only just blocking, but blocking it into play. I think it's really exciting for a player, and that happened against Michigan State. He blocked it to another KU player, so basically at that point it counts as a turnover because you're not having you know, or or you could count it as a missed shot because you're rebounding it, something like that. But my point is, if you block it and it's it's fun to get excited and try to get the crowd pumped up and just launch it, you know, eight rows up. But if you do that, the other team gets an inbounds play. Mm-hmm. And look, if you do that with about two seconds left on the shot clock, then it's very beneficial. But he's not only found a way to block, he's found a way to control his blocks to where uh, it, it stays in play and gives KU an opportunity to grab it and, and potentially even go on a fast break. Like that, that that's the It's not just that he's blocking, it's that he's, he's controlling it. I remember that was uh, a conversation with Doak, his like sophomore and junior, and then he he eventually figured that out as well. So I thought that was was nice. Uh, obviously with Ochai, you know, continuation of of where he was on Tuesday night in the opener. But if I did, I see this is the best best start, best two game start scoring ever in KU history, fifty two points or fifty three points. That can't be true. Or no, fifty four. He had fifty four. No, because Wilt had like. 40 or 50 okay, in his maybe first ever the, game. Maybe it's the best in, in a certain... Maybe in self era or something? Yes, it is. You're right. You're okay. 100% right. It is the best scoring start uh, in two games that a player has had. 54 points is the most that a Bill Self player has put up in the first two games of a season. And you're you know, right. It was Self era. What I really noticed in the Friday game was like the variety of how he's being used offensively is, is pretty yeah. remarkable. It's not just... Like in years past, he's mostly a spot-up shooter who maybe gets the occasional cut and dunk or transition basket or something like that. And we're still seeing all that. But I think we're seeing even more of the dunk opportunities. We're seeing him... Like uh, there was a, a possession where he posted up, I think against Michigan State, he he ended up passing out or not getting the ball. I can't remember, 
But like the idea that they were actually going to give Ochai a post-up opportunity is interesting. And you have the idea of him driving or the idea that he's getting to the free throw line a lot more or that he's taking mid-range jumpers maybe more planned into the offense than, than in other years. He is being used in so many different ways right now. The SNC coach, is, is it Ramsey? Is Naheem how you pronounce that last name? I always thought it was Nijem. It could be. I, I apologize, uh, Ramsey. I, I, I know it's spelled N-I-J-E-M. I apologize. I, I don't know um, exactly how to pronounce it. I, I need to learn that. But my point is, remember during the Hootie years where a dude would come back and look enormous, like with these great big shoulders? And part of it is because you're just naturally skinnier when you're 18 uh, than w- because you've never been in a, in a high-level strength and conditioning program. But year after year, we had at least one or two dudes come back and just like we couldn't even recognize them. That is Ochai this year, man, and I think that's why he's be able to to be used so so diversely on the offensive end, is that he he has some weight to throw around, man. I mean that his shoulders are are impressive, and so that's of this new essence of the new strength and conditioning coordinator. That's the first time I've seen, and and I look they've been good. You know, he, I don't think it's been a huge drop off from the Hootie era, but this, but Ochai coming back this year is the first time that I've seen so in this new era of this new strength and conditioning coach of a guy go that I just look at and go, dude. So that to me has been as impressive as his play is the 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 meat he has. He is in very good shape. That is to say the least. Um, as far as besides that, I mean, you're only gonna have so many takeaways from a game like this. Obviously, Christian Brown. Uh, was fantastic for KU, but what else can I say besides that? Um, it's just the rotation was the biggest thing to, to look out for in that game. I mean, basically, you were already down to a nine-man rotation, um, but even that counts KJ Adams, who got all of his run, I believe, in the first half. Um, and if you don't count the last like three minutes that Joe Yesfu was in, uh, he'd basically, you know, you basically be down to a seven-man rotation. So it's already working itself down. Though it'll get more interesting once Jalen Wilson comes back. But the first guy that came off the bench was Jalen Coleman Lands. Shot it really well. I wonder if if Coleman Lands, who also had that awesome hustle play, which will endear yourself to the fans big time, and obviously Bill Self. I, I wonder if he's the guy who is going to be the most in the most trouble with losing minutes when Jalen Wilson comes back because of the fact that. Okay, when you when you start thinking about like who's playing those four minutes, yes, we've seen KJ in it for a few minutes here or there. Clements uh, came in in the first half when, but he was in gotten fouled. He was in his, at the center position, and um, I I just think that like right now you have Christian Brown or Ochai mostly sliding down and playing the four. Yeah, and so once Jalen Wilson comes back, it's going to be Christian Brown and Ochai, and Ochai slide back to the two and three, right? Yeah. Um, which means there are less minutes to give out at the wing now. And basically it comes down to what do you think Self is going to want to play more minutes? Is it a second point guard or another wing with Jalen Coleman-Lands? And I kind of think it's going to be a second point guard. I watched him play with two point point guards. Like Chalmers is remembered, and rightly so, for the three he hit. And he was a good shooter. It's not like that was out of nowhere. He was a really good shooter. Um, But he was also forgotten as a guy... You know, it was it was really you rarely saw much Russell Robinson and Sharon Collins, uh, but you saw a lot of Marsha, uh, Mario Chalmers and one of those two players, uh, because Chalmers, as, even though he was a shooter, he could bring in the ball up the floor. Tyshawn Taylor and Elijah Johnson, whoever got it, brought it. 
he loves playing with two point guards. Like he loves playing with two point guards. Um, and I think that is what you're going to see more and more of. And and I think you could be right. I think, and, and I think also he's toggling with this lineup because he he can, like he's he's basically now until they've got Stony Brook. Who do they have in the first round of that Orlando Invitational? Because if that's another kind of team they should have an easy time with, I think he's using this as an opportunity to toggle with different lineups and really see who works the most out there. And that could have just been the night that it was going to be Jalen Coleman Land's chance to really show his mark. And then after Stony Brook, somebody else will, you know, will have played a few more minutes and will go, well, what's that about? Mm -hmm. I think a lot of this could just be he wants to get in as many dudes as possible to see once the season really, you know, gets rolling in earnest. Uh, who does he want on there? Yeah, and by the way, it's North Texas, um, who they're playing in the first game, who was a tournament team last year. Um, Didn't they win? Yeah, they beat they, Purdue. They, they upset Purdue upset, in the first yeah. round. So, okay, here's here's the issue with in, in trying to kind of figure that out. You have 40 minutes to divvy out at the, the four spot, and then you have 80 minutes to divvy out between the two and the three positions. Um, right now, Christian Brown and Ochai are playing 32 and a half and 35 and a half minutes, respectively. I don't think Ochai is going to see like a big minute decrease if, I mean, he's looking like an All-American. You're not going to want to give that guy less minutes. Let's just say Ochai gives you 35 minutes a night from here on out, okay? And let's say most of that is at the two or three. Let's say he doesn't play any four. Uh, with Christian Brown, let's say he goes down when Jalen comes back. He goes down to 30 minutes a game as opposed to 32 and a half. And let's say Jalen gives you, I mean, Jalen was giving you like 28 minutes a game last year. Um, and supposedly he is better than he was last year. I kind of think Jalen Wilson is going to give you bare minimum 25. Uh, it might be safer to guess 30 minutes a game. Especially if he's productive on on the rim. Let's say 30. Do you want to say 30 for the sake of this exercise? Yeah, let's say Okay, 30. so that gives him 30. So that means there's 10 more minutes that you can give you out, divvy out at the four. Let's say Christian Brown gives you the other 10 minutes there. So now that means if Christian Brown's playing 30 minutes and 10 of them are at the four, he's giving you 20 minutes on the wing. So between Ochai at 35 and Brown's 20 on the wing, you've allotted 55 of your 80 minutes between the two and the three position. That means you now have 25 minutes to give out between a backup wing or a secondary point guard. I will say, and, and I don't think you're out of line, but I think you're a little high on giving Ochai 35. Is it 35 and a half right now? Yeah, I know, but I, I don't know. Maybe I, I could be wrong. I just I feel like once that lineup squeezes a little bit, I don't think it'll be much higher or much lower than like 32, but so it's not a it's not a tremendous difference. Okay, well we can go down to 32 for the sake of this. I just uh, this is just kind of interesting. So now we go to the point guard position. Um, Remy Martin's giving you 28 and a half minutes a game. Let's just say it's 28. Okay, yep. so you have 28 there. Um, let's see, Dewan Harris is giving you 30 and a half. Let's bring that down to 25. Let's be conservative there. Okay, so Dewan and Remy combining for 53 minutes a game. You now have, remember, you had, okay, I took three minutes away from Ochai. So you had 28 minutes left between the two and the three position. And now you have basically bleed over from Remy and Dewan, where one of them's playing the two, and subtract all the 40 point guard minutes. Uh, this might sound kind of complicated. Um, basically, you have 15 minutes left. Between the two and the three? Or just yeah. on the two? You have 15 minutes left. For just the two at this point, which means and Remy's going to play some time at the two. Or do you well, already, I, you I just take, included. I just Remy and Dewan. Yeah. Okay. Remy and Dewan are 
between the one and the two position, 53 minutes. And again, that might be conservative. I was going to say that's conservative because you're going to have moments where Pettiford comes in right. and that's going to push Remy to the two. And this is what I'm saying. So if you have, if you allot for 40 of those 53 minutes that Remy and Dewan are playing for point guard minutes, the other 13 would have to be at the shooting guard. Yeah. Which means you're taking away the 13 from the 28 that were just available after doing the math so with Ochai Brown and Jalen. Yeah. You have 15 left between playing Jalen Coleman lands, Bobby Pettiford, Joseph Yesifu. And Christian Brown and Ochai, if they're hot that night. Right. Like, they're they're, he's more. not going to take them off if, yes. if they're if they're cannon shots and playing well on defense. So maybe it won't be Jalen Coleman lands, but I just when I see what Bobby Pettiford like because Jalen Coleman lands was the first guy off the bench. Bobby Pettiford was the first point guard off the bench. And I think it's become pretty clear through two games that Bobby Pettiford has looked better than Joe Yesfu. I still think there will be games in there where Joe Yesfu is the guy that doesn't play consistently, but he does go off for like 15 points, and he's the difference you and you off the bench, but he's more of that lightning in a bottle. And the way that you see Pettiford play in the first game, you way that, the way that you see him play, which this was something you brought up on Friday, like which bench guys don't just come in or play minutes, but which bench guys come in and play with four other starters? Bobby Pettifer did that. He came in for Dwan Harris. It was the four other starters when he was on there. And, and I, there's honestly part of me that even wonders like how close this will be a conversation for another day, how close Bobby Pettiford is to maybe even overtaking a guy like Dewan Harris uh, yeah. down the line. But And I hate saying that because I love Dewan. It's just you wonder if the lack of but shooting at some point. Pettiford, dude, Pettiford against and he's Michigan really good. State was... Yes. I, now, I, I have to say, I did not... I know it's on ESPN Plus, and I should go back and watch it. I did not watch um, the Tarleton State game. I was working high school football, and I didn't watch it on replay over the weekend, so I need to. So I've only the, I've only watched start to finish the um, the Michigan State game. But, dude, Pettiford looks freaking good. Yes, he I, does. I mean, I, he's, like, real Looked good. Looks good man. again. And so, I, I don't know. I, I guess I will say this. If you add, that does bring it down to 12 if you give those three minutes back to Ochai, which makes it even more complicated. Mm-hmm. Um I just wonder but, if that role is going to be Bobby Pettiford's, and if that's the case, then when Jalen Wilson comes back, Jalen Coleman lands is is kind of you know. It's, yeah, out of it's luck. going to take something like foul trouble for him to get on the right. bench, off the bench. Yeah, and again, it, because of that, there are but, certain games where certain guys are going to play more, play less, and it, he won't never play again. It's not like you just say these are the guys in our rotation. Nobody else is yeah, ever going to yeah. play again, right? It, it differentiates, I, but I think just on on an average nightly basis. Yeah, and, and I'll say this. You can't really – I don't think you can overstate, and it might frustrate some players not getting on the floor as much, but I really, truly, at least for this season, until some of them jump in the transfer portal, which I know Jalen Coleman-Lance can't, but he's he's a senior anyway, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Seventh year. Yeah, yeah, he's transferred so many times already. This is his third school. But I, I do think there is something to be said about – man, when you're in, when you're in practice – and you're banging on dudes who could start at almost any other Big Twelve school. I like that hasn't happened. That's happened at KU before, and it was from about 2007. It was it kind of started that 06, 07 season when Darrell Arthur was coming off the bench behind Julian Wright, and it it led into basically 2011, where every single year you had starters who were practicing against against other Big Twelve caliber starters. Uh, and, and that, I don't know, I, I, that doesn't solve much as far as the minutes thing that we just did. But I, I think KU fans should take into you know account and, and appreciate what this depth means beyond just, okay, if a guy gets hurt, we hope that never happens. Or if a guy has foul trouble, 
it's also how much better they're going to be going up against mm-hmm. other dudes, like real dudes in practice. And again, something we've talked about, like Jalen Coleman-Lands was top 10 in Big 12 in scoring, and now we're talking about him. Will he even have a spot in the regular rotation when Jalen Wilson comes back? It's absolutely incredible. By the way, I've become attached to giving a quick summary of K.J. Adams and, and his little uh like a, a run of play and a run of different plays he makes over the course of the game. So let me give another from this game. Offensive rebound with a follow dunk in the air, which was an awesome play to watch. Those are fun. Great read defensively to jump a specific motion, knowing exactly where they were going to go, and stops the motion and, and kills the play for the other team. Watch his film. A great quick pass to the corner to a wide open Dewan Harris. Missed the three, but he would have gotten an assist otherwise. Got positioning to get pushed from behind and earn a foul on another possession, going for a rebound, earned the foul, and, and earned a possession for KU. Then he guarded the point guard, bringing up the ball from about quarter court on till the point guard had to give the ball up. That is just a run of plays over a handful of minutes or so from K.J. Adams, and I love doing this each and every game because it shows all the little things that he does, and he is quickly becoming, I think, one of my favorite players just to kind of keep an eye on and, and all the different things he can do without actually scoring the basketball. Have you ever heard my theory on Perry Ellis and why everybody thought he was so old beyond just the fact that he looked old? Why is that? It was because in today's era of college basketball, when it, when somebody contributes as a freshman regularly, they almost never stay four years. So it seems mm-hmm. like you're hearing them for eight years because if you hear them a lot their freshman year, they're gone by their sophomore or junior year. I think K.J. Adams could be something like that. Now, this team is deeper than the team Perry Ellis' freshman year, uh, but I do think he could make enough of an impact and be the type of player that he's a starter by about his sophomore year, and he just plays regularly as starting through his senior year. And by then, everyone's going to go, this guy's been at KU for a million years, when in reality, it's just been four. He just happens to be one of the few players who's good enough to contribute a lot as a freshman and make big plays as a freshman, but not quite at a level we can leave early. He's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it.